Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. Uh, told me a story once about a car that they had been given. Um, it was early in uh, his marriage, and he was working, and they only had one car. And so if he drove it to work, it meant that he'd leave his wife home with their two-year-old and infant. And he worried that, oh, if something happened during the day, they wouldn't have anywhere to get somewhere. And so they, she would get up early with him, and they'd have to wake up their sleeping kids, which as a parent, you like, never want to do that, right? Some of you are like, no, not that. Um, so they'd wake him up, get him in the car, drive to work, drop him off. She'd drive home. And then at the end of the day, she'd have to get up the kids at the end of the day um, and, you know, turn off the oven and not leave any of that on and go pick him up and come back. It was a lot. She tried walking to work three miles, but once it got cold, that didn't work. And so they were just like, oh, what, are we, what can we do? Like, Lord, we need a car, but we don't have money for it. So he started to pray started to pray, Lord, would you provide a second car? And someone came up to them and, and said, hey, we're getting a new car. Um, would you take our old one? It, it doesn't run super well, but he's like, hey, it's better than nothing. So they took it. It was a blue Ford, and they immediately dubbed it the Blue Blessing. The Blue Blessing. And he said it was it was a gift, and because it was a gift, they gave it as a gift many, many times. They were really open-handed with it. It's like they didn't save up for the down payment. They didn't work hard uh, to get it. They didn't research the model. They didn't, you know, go to the dealership and negotiate for it. It was a complete gift, and so they were able to give it away as a gift. So someone's teaching their kid how to drive. Oh, come drive the Blue Blessing. Someone's needs to borrow it for a week. Oh, borrow the blue blessing. They just were really open-handed with it. But he said he had another car in the driveway right next to the blue blessing, his car, his white car. They had saved together as they were engaged and scrimped to get the down payment. They had researched the model. They had gone to the dealership. They had negotiated for it. They were paying the payments, and he said he was really protective of that car. His own kid spilled something in the back seat, and he said, I went crazy. I was so upset. A neighbor kid threw a stone and broke a window in the blue blessing. He was like, ah, it's fine. Here's a blessing. I love that story, and I always remembered it because it wasn't long after that that someone gave Bonnie and I, when we were in a very similar situation, a car as a gift. And I remembered the story of the blue blessing, and I I asked the Lord, like, Lord, would you help us do what our mentors did with their car and just be generous with it? My friend who told this story said, every single thing we have in our life is either a blue car or a white car. It's either something that we see as a blessing, as a gift that we received, or it's something that we see as something that we worked for, we earned, and we deserve. And here's the reality, that when you see something as a blessing that you received, it's easy to give. 
But when you see something as something you worked for and that you earned and that you deserved, it's really hard to give. With a gift, you can bless. But with something you earned, it becomes something you possess. As believers, we believe what the Bible says, that every good and perfect gift comes from above the Father of lights. And if everything is a good gift from God that we can receive and give thanks for, everything becomes something that we can also give. Here's the idea for this morning. A person who gives thanks is a person who gives. A person who gives thanks is a person who gives. A life of gratitude for God's generosity pours out as a life of generosity. We've been talking about gratitude the last few weeks. We said gratitude becomes a gateway to the goodness of God. It's how we see and receive his good gifts in our daily life. That gratitude brings out of uh, bitterness. It, It can bring joy out of isolation or disconnection. It can bring relationship and connection. And when we experience the good gifts that God gives, the relationship and connection with him and with others, the joy of that, as we begin to more deeply experience and trust his own goodness and generosity, it means we can become givers of good things and we can become more generous. Generosity, though, is not only a response to God's goodness, it's a way in. We said the same thing about gratitude. We don't only give thanks um, because we've seen his goodness, we give thanks in order to see his goodness. The same is true with generosity. Do you want to see the goodness of God? Practicing generosity will put you in a place where you'll have to. So it's a response and a way in. People who give thanks are people who give. Let's take that in two parts. Do the first part of that phrase first. People who give thanks. People who give thanks for what they receive. Receiving takes open hands. For someone to give you something, you have to have hands open and receive it. And to give something, you have to then let go and have open hands. We talked all fall about being open to God. Receiving helps us practice that openness. Uh, It's really hard to open our hands to let go. But opening our hands to receive actually teaches it to us. It helps us practice that. And Hebrews 13 is just this beautiful um, repetition of what we have received from God, of the goodness and generosity that God's poured out for us. It says, God has promised, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In Jesus, God has given himself to us. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he's brought us forgiveness. He's brought us life. He he brings us healing. In his ascension, he's made a way for us to go and be with him and share in his full inheritance. We have received everything from God. So Hebrews says, therefore we can say, the Lord's my helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me when we're connected to the God of the universe and he is good and he is generous? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
we've experienced his provision in our salvation. We will experience his provision in our past. We can experience his provision and his goodness now and in our future. As we're looking for a city that is to come, we have a future. We have an inheritance. And there is nothing that happens now that can take that away from us. Gratitude teaches us to receive God's goodness, and when we receive it as a gift, when we don't think it's something that we have earned or that we own, it allows us to to give it away. I read this story that um, Greg Laurie tells in his book, A Time to Worship. He says there's this woman who um, just finished shopping, and she returns to her car. She's just an elderly lady doing her shopping. She walks out into the parking lot, and there are four men sitting in her car. Do you imagine if that happened to you? You walk out of the parking lot and there's four people sitting in your car. And so she gets really scared and she opens up her purse and she carried a handgun for protection. So she pulls out her handgun and she, she says, I have a gun, I know how to use it, get out of the car. And they jump out of the car and they run away. She's like so shaken up. So she gets her groceries in the car, she gets in the car, she puts her key in and she can't get the key to work in the ignition. And she realizes, this is not my car. It's the same make and model, but she looks out the window. Her car is four or five spaces away. She's mortified. She gets her groceries out of the car she stole, and then she puts them in her car, and she drives to the police station to tell them what she had done. And as she's telling the sergeant on duty what happened, he's just cracking up laughing And he points because at the other end of the room are the four guys who are so scared about the little old lady who stole their car. So she apologizes and no charges are pressed and everything's okay. She she thought the car was hers and she was going to do everything to hold on to it and protect it. How often do we do that with what we think is ours? But as Christians, it's not ours. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. If we earned it, if we deserve it, then we own it. But if we receive it, if we steward it, then we give it. You hear the word stewardship thrown around, right? But what is a steward? Um, My wife Bonnie's been reading all of this medieval history for like two years. The the monarchies and the dynasties and all of it's it's crazy. And so she'll always tell me these new stories. But when you're thinking about a king and thrones and queens, there's often a steward over the throne. The king goes away on a trip And a steward stays behind, and they're not the monarch, but they're there caring for everything in its place. Or a a king comes to power, or a queen comes to power, but they're too young to rule, and there's a steward who rules in their stead until they're ready to take the throne. And the steward's job is to care for the kingdom, to, to rule it, to be just, and to keep things, but they're not the king. But what happens when a steward really likes the throne, really likes getting to make the final decisions about how resources are used. 
What happens when the steward doesn't want to stop being a steward and let the king receive the kingdom that belongs to the king? When the steward wants to possess the throne, how often do we do this with what we have and who we are? Do you see yourself as the king of your kingdom or as a steward of the kingdom of God? Entrusted with the care of resources that you receive as a gift, not that you earned, not that you deserve, but that you receive as a gift to use for the kingdom of God. Thinking about um, earning and deserving, I read this study. It's from a, an article that was on Wired.com last week, and it's on Wired, so it's got some language in it if you do want to go read it, it's called Why Are Rich People So Mean? Which is a total clickbait title. Um, it's not quite descriptive of what they're trying to say and not completely fair. But they talked about this study that psychologists did, uh, Keltner and Piff, they did a Monopoly study. So the game Monopoly, only they, they set up the game um, so it'd be completely unfair. So two people would come in, they did this on over 100 pairs of people, two people would come in, they'd flip a coin, and one person would get to roll two dice, would get twice as much money whenever they pass go, would get twice as much money for everything, and then the other person would just get, you know, the normal amount. And I don't know, whenever I play Monopoly, it feels like that's what's happening anyway. Um, not my best game. Um, and th they didn't hide any of these advantages. Both players knew you're going to play Monopoly and it's going to be completely unfair. But that didn't stop the player who had all the unfair advantages from acting like they were doing something really, really great. And so they'd like slam their piece down on the table. They'd like talk a lot and be super happy. There was a bowl of pretzels between them. And time after time, the, the player who had all the advantages, who was winning, would eat all the pretzels. <laughs> And then afterwards, they'd interview the players, and the players who had all of these advantages would talk about why they won. They'd talk about their brilliant strategies and strategic decisions. And they would not talk about the fact that the whole game was rigged to make it impossible for them to lose. We think that what we have is what we've earned, is what we deserve, is what we're entitled to. And as long as we think like that, it will be really hard for us to be generous. But if we see all of the good things in our lives, the gifts that we've been given as people, the opportunities we've had, the financial resources we have as good gifts from a good God, when we receive them and give thanks, we'll be able to give them away. Because they won't be something we possess, they'll be something we can use to bless. If we earned it, we own it. If we receive it, we can give it. People who give thanks for what they receive are people who give. This is God's plan for showing his goodness to the world. God's plan for pouring his generosity out to the world is that we would receive what he gives us as a good gift and then give it away. We see this from the very beginning of the Bible. We'll read the story in a few weeks when we um, celebrate lessons and carols in Advent. God comes to Abraham and he goes, 
I want to bless you. What does he say? Genesis 12, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. That's the whole plan. God's goodness to Abraham and his family so that God's goodness can go to all people. The psalm we read this morning, Psalm 67, in our Book of Common Prayer, that's the psalm that's read during a marriage ceremony. And it's saying, God, you have blessed us. Would you continue to bless us? Why? So that your name might be praised among the nations. So that others might know your goodness and generosity because you've been good and generous to us. The first time Jesus sends out his disciples, the disciple remembers someone who does what Jesus does. So as he sends out his disciples, he tells them, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Now freely give. Jesus did all of those things for them. And now they go, and with what they have received, they give. This is God's plan for the church. Paul says to the church at Corinth, one of his first church plans, he says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God blesses you so that through you he may bless the world. And what happens when that happens? That will produce thanksgiving to God. Beautiful. Do we think that in order to give, we have to be blessed, but not just blessed, blessed with extra? I think we read passages like that and we're like, yes, Lord, go ahead, bless me. I'm waiting. Not, oh, look at all the ways he has blessed me. Not look at everything I have as blessing, but it would be nice to have a little blessing, and then I will take part of it and bless somebody else. Does that sound familiar? I think that's the way I think about it. A little bit extra, a bonus check, an unexpected windfall, and then I can bless. A little more margin in my life. I think that's exactly what our gospel passage is talking about in Luke 20. Jesus is sitting in one of the outer courts of the temple. And in that temple, there are 13 receptacles for, for gifts to be given that would then be used to um, support the widow, the orphan, the refugee. It would be given to support the poor. This is a commandment of God to his people that they would take of their own resources to care for the most vulnerable in their society. So there's 13 of these different receptacles. And Jesus is just sitting in this court with his disciples, and they're watching people give. And they're watching people come up dressed in their fine clothes. They've got their best clothes on. They're coming where everyone can see them. And they're giving these large gifts so that they can look generous. And Jesus watches them. And he knows their heart. He knows they're not doing this to give thanks to God. They're doing it to give thanks to themselves. It's self-congratulatory. Do you ever give like this? And then share to Facebook? <laughs> They're giving so that they look good, not because God is good. They're giving because they think they're good, not because they've experienced God is good. Okay? In contrast to that, Jesus watches a widow who has no resources, and she comes up and she puts in two coins. 
that's the lowest, um, smallest coin in that society, she puts two pennies. It's hard to value things for what it was worth in that culture versus what it'd be worth in this culture, but it's likely that those two coins could have bought her two or three grapes. It's a couple pennies. She puts it in and Jesus goes, she has given more than everyone else. Not than anyone else, than everyone else combined. Why? What does Jesus say? He says, because all of the others gave out of their wealth. That word wealth, it's talking about, an older translation translates it superfluidity. It's excess. It's extra. It's their margin. It's the the money that they could lose and it would not impact them at all. They've got some extra. They'll give it. They want to look good. It's not going to impact their daily life. And this is how we think about giving. I'll give some out of the extra. If there's extra at the end of the month, if there's extra at the end of the year, I'll give. If I have a margin, if there's mysteriously some surplus, if there's money left over after I've gotten all the things I need and a couple things I want, then I'll give. What's happening when we think like that is two things. One, we're treating our money like our own, not as a gift we've received. But I think deeper than that, we think that generosity has to come out of our own resources. How is this widow able to give two pennies? her last two pennies. It's only because she knows that her Father in heaven has all the resources. She's not giving out of the resources she has. She's giving out of the resources God has. And he has everything. She didn't have margin to give in her budget, but she was trusting in her inheritance from God that God has enough to give. He'll give to me, I'll give to others. And there's always enough. We don't give out of our own abundance. We give out of God's abundance. That changes how we think about our resources. That lets us give out of what the Bible calls our first fruits. The first things we receive, we give back to him in thanksgiving. Before we've paid our mortgage, before we've bought our groceries, we give because everything's a gift from him and he has everything to give. If you're in a season where you would say, I don't have anything to give. There's nothing extra. You're face to face with a deep and profound truth. The only thing anyone has to give is what we can receive. And that Jesus is first much more concerned about our capacity to receive him than our capacity to give. First, we receive freely. Then, we give freely. We do it because we're so connected to the goodness of God. We trust him to be good. I was thinking about this um, as I was in my study this week and heard uh, squirrels running up and down the roof, back and forth, back and forth. 
and they're in, you know, their panic mode right now, right? They, they, they are so manic. They're just running around, running into things, you know, grabbing nuts. Have you ever seen squirrels fight over an acorn? It's one of the saddest things in nature, I think. Um, they're so scrappy and mean about that little nut that they're going to go bury somewhere and then forget where they even buried it. Um, but they know they're, they're one acorn away from starvation at any given moment. And so they're just scurrying and grabbing, and you see them like jumping off of garages onto bird feeders, just like risking their lives. Compare that to your pet dog in your home, sitting at your feet. It's getting cold outside, so they snuggle a little bit closer to you, and they try to sit up on the couch with you or up in the bed with you. They know it's not up to them to find food. They know that every morning you're going to go to the cupboard and stick a cup into the dog food bag and pour it into their bowl, and they're going to eat all that they need. And they knew that, know that every month when that bag is empty, you're going to go somewhere and come back with a new bag that weighs more than them and costs like $150 because it's all organic. And they are full of gratitude because they're not cats. <laughs> Don't be spiritual squirrels. Be Christian canines. <laughs> we can trust that the Lord has an abundance, that everything we receive from him is a gift. And when we receive it as a gift and give thanks, we are freed, we are trained, we are taught to give the way that God gives. And that's his plan for the world. This is what Eucharist is all about. At the table, we come and we celebrate God's goodness. We celebrate his salvation. And it's at the table where his body is broken for our salvation, where his blood is poured out for our healing, where we give thanks all together and we become his body, broken for one another, where we become his blood poured out for our world. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, that person, they think they're God's gift to humanity? The church is. The church is because God has given himself to us, poured out himself to us so that we can receive him and pour out ourselves to one another. And if we think we've earned his grace, if we think we've earned anything in our lives, we won't be able to give it. But if we receive it as God's goodness, his provision, and we learn to trust his goodness and his provision, then everything we have won't be ours. It'll be his. It'll be for his kingdom. It'll be so that we can can give away so that everyone we encounter will know God's goodness through us. And we don't give because we have anything to give. We only give because of what we have received. If you try to give out of what you have, you'll go empty. But if you give out of what you receive, your cup will overflow.
I want to close these three weeks on giving thanks with the story of a life of a person who lived with gratitude, who lived goodness, who lived generosity. His name's Dallas Willard. He's a Christian writer and philosopher. Maybe you've read some of his books. I recommended his book, Hearing God, many, many times to you all. Um, Renovation of the Heart, um, uh, Divine Conspiracy. He passed away in uh, 2013, and uh, there's a new biography about him uh, by Gary Moon called Becoming Dallas Willard. It just came out. It's really good. So Gary Moon um, describes being with Dallas as Dallas passed away. He was a close friend. He said, it's 4.30 a.m. A nurse came in to turn Dallas in the bed, and her visit woke Gary up, and it woke Dallas up. And so Gary took Dallas's hand, and Dallas turned to him, and he told him to tell the ones he loved how much he was blessed by them, how much he appreciated them. And then, as Gary describes it, in a voice clearer than he had heard Dallas use in days, he leaned his head back, and with his eyes closed, he said, He wasn't talking to Gary. He was talking to the Lord, in whose presence he would then enter. At the moment of his death, so filled, so experiencing the goodness of God, that he could respond with gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for death. Thank you for the hope of heaven. May we live lives of such gratitude that we die deaths of such gratitude. That we live experiencing day by day, seeing and receiving God's goodness. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.